Hey, everyone. This is Allison, your host of Therapy Matters. We're taking a break this week, but I want to make sure that you check out this amazing episode with Drew Contreras on Will AI Take Over Physical Therapy? AI is a really hot topic right now, and we need to figure out how it's going to impact the physical therapy industry. And Drew has some really amazing insights on how it's going to shape our industries. Take a listen and let us know what you think. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, and welcome to the Therapy Matters Podcast, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. I'm your host, Allison Jones, and today I'm joined by Drew Crunch-Harris, the Vice President of Clinical Integration and Innovation at the American Physical Therapy Association. Drew, thank you for joining me today. Ah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Excellent. So, Drew, you have, uh, you've been in the industry for over 25 years, and you've had a very accomplished career. So let's start by giving our listeners a little bit of your background. Sure, right? So I am a, um, a retired uh, United States Army physical therapist, so did that for a while. Um, and uh, in that role um, as a military physical therapist, the unique thing compared to um, you know, a civilian therapist or kind of your traditional clinical setting is that um, the privileges and skill set is vastly different for a military physical therapist than a civilian. You have advanced skills that you're allowed to use and you're allowed to order imaging studies and limited medications and things like that. Um, but that also means, right, you get to go to glorious and illustrious places far, far away from your family and friends and hang out there for a while. So there's that too. Um, but during the course of that uh, time on active duty, I had a very interesting job where I was actually uh, assigned to the White House, where I was the physical therapist for the Obama administration while I was on active duty. Um, so that was a um, a completely different um, setting, right, than your typical physical therapy setting. Um, but it was not without its, uh, you know, interesting things that you see and do and privileges of, of doing it. Um, so that was kind of my clinical career, right, as a, as a clinician. And uh, after I retired out of the military, I decided that I wanted to try and have a broader impact on the profession. Uh, so that's what brought me over to the American Physical Therapy Association to where I'm at now. And tell me a little bit about what you do at ABTA today. Yeah, so my, uh, my job is really in, in where we would call, you know, the, the junction between clinician and uh, practicality of clinical innovation and implementing those innovations, right? So what that really means in a, in a sense is if there's something new and, and that could potentially change the practice, the way we deliver care, you know, my job is to, to know about it, right? And to determine, is that something that we should be doing as clinicians? Uh, likewise, to look at things and say, maybe that's something we shouldn't be doing and we should not be implementing as clinicians, right? But, um, you know, the, the association uh, has never been one to lead in this space, right? The, the American Physical Therapy Association, you know, essentially let practice be driven by clinicians, which is, which is how it should be, right? But what it never really did a great job of doing was when we found something that worked really well, that the research supported it, that clinicians were having great success, we weren't great about disseminating and sharing that information amongst the profession. Uh, and that's really kind of what falls into my portfolio is figuring out how to do that, how to, to get that information to people so that we can have the best impact we can 
uh, with the patients we serve. Okay. Okay, great. All right. So today, our focus is on the uses and impact of technology in physical therapy. And this stems from a conversation that happened a few weeks back uh, with two of our colleagues on a previous episode of Therapy Matters. So my co-host, Scott Rongo, spoke with your boss, Justin Moore, about the challenges and opportunities facing therapy uh, over the next five years. And they talked about three different areas, but one of them was um, the uh, was emerging technologies. And Justin said to us, uh, you need di- you need to dive deeper uh, on this topic. And to do that, we have to speak to Drew. Drew's your guy. So <laughs> <laughs> so no pressure. Right, no pressure. Right. No pressure. But we're expecting big things today. Yeah, okay? of course. Um, so when we talk about technology, when we're talking about emerging technologies, the impact of, techno- of technology, there's really one thing that is on everybody's mind right now, and that's AI, right? Okay. So AI is the hot new technology. Everybody's talking about it. You, you know, you can't you can't open up a web page, you can't uh, turn on the news, you can't uh, go to a meeting uh, practically at all today without somebody talking about AI. Um, and lots of people are really worried that AI is going to replace their jobs. Yes. So let's just address the elephant in the room right up front. How worried should PTs be that AI is going to replace their jobs? So, so the, you know, what's interesting, right? If you really want to, you know, just log in to, to chat GPT and ask it, because I did. Hey, are you going to, are you going to take my job? Are you going to get rid of me? Right. And what, in the actual answer that the, the AI platform gave me was like, yeah, probably not. Because, you know, physical therapy requires human intervention um, and that cannot be done, you know, through through these kind of platforms. And so so right, so jokingly about it. Right. Like, you know, it, it's it, that's not the intent behind an AI platform. Right. Um, it's not they're going to take your job. Now, I, I have a couple caveats to that, though. Right. So caveat number one, um, this is assuming. Right. You're 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 a clinician practicing in the standards of care and, and doing good stuff, right? Taking care of patients, um, providing quality evaluations and treatment plans, right? Now, if you're a terrible clinician, right, and you're just sitting there giving out my favorite example is everybody gets yellow theraband clamshells, no matter what their problem is, right? Like if you go into an AI platform and say, hey, give me a rehab program for somebody six weeks post-op from an ACL, it's going to give you a really nice program, right? So if your whole um, clinical essence is, is just programming of exercises and has nothing to do with progression, regression, evaluation, diagnose, like, yeah, you, you're not going to be doing that much longer, right? Because it can do it better than you. Um, so... The thing, the, the take that we have is that technology will never replace a physical therapist, right? But a physical therapist who is technologically savvy and educated will replace a physical therapist who is not. And that I am certain of. Okay. All right. So, so give me some examples of um, how AI can enhance uh, physical therapy. Sure. Right. I mean, so like we've already, um, like you said, right, the news is everywhere on, on AI. Right. And I think that 
I think that a lot of healthcare providers, you know, for lack of a more sophisticated word, poo-pooed AI until it passed the medical licensing exam. Then all of a sudden, a bunch of physicians started paying attention. Like, hey, wait a minute. Like, yeah, right. So, so the point of it is that, um, and then now we've also seen where, you know, you can put AI. Uh, there was an AI platform that went up against a team of of specific radio. I forget the subspecialty of radiologists, but very very bright men, and the humans beat out the AI platform, but just barely on recognizing and diagnosing imaging, you know, imaging studies. So they were better, but not tremendously. And let's also be honest, right? Four or five radiologists, you know, it, whatever a radiologist costs a day looking at pictures versus an AI platform, which runs for pennies, you know, the scaling of that and the termination of, you know, the, the platforms are going to be good enough to handle a lot of screening. And that's the truth, right? It's going to be able to recognize the patterns and the things that, as you set it up, but Hey, this is what a carcinoma looks like, right? This is what, you know, I'm looking for in, you know, uh, a medial tibial stress fracture, right? In the, in the pat, it will pick up the patterns, but it will never be able to correlate that with a physical examination, Right. So the point is that, you know, these things are coming, right? And those pattern recognitions of what they excel at, right? They'll be able to kind of really get in there um, and change the way that we do things because you won't have to spend the t- clinical time in, in some of these things where it can be quickly screened for you and then it can, you can take out 10 or 15 diagnoses really fast, right? And we can just, move on to the things that are most likely uh, to be worrisome and then really focus the plan of care as opposed to that taking, I don't know, a few visits, a few weeks to get to that point. Yeah, you had talked about when we were doing the prep for this, you had talked about an AI tool that, um, uh, you know, you could use your phone to um, uh, basically uh, evaluate movement of your patient. Yeah. Definitely. Right. So here, here's the, the conversation I love to have um, with clinicians who are skeptical of, of this. I say, what is your gold standard for measuring motion right now? Right. And, and the, the answer most clinicians will tell me is, oh, I, I use a goniometer. I say, great. So you've got a piece of plastic with a metal rivet and a couple of Sharpie marks on it. Right. And that's your plan for measuring joint motion. Right. Or I can, you know, get out, you know, essentially a, a, a a microcomputer with a screen in my hand, right? Take a picture or a video and get, you know, things that are reproducible. Um, the variance is, is minuscule and it can give me exact measurements to use with my patients using an AI platform that's doing motion capture, right? So why would I not fold that into it? Like it's, it's faster, it's easier, it's the inter-reader reliability is astronomical compared to, you know, standard goniometer measurements. So why wouldn't I use that? Well, it's just because I'm not familiar with it, right? Or it hasn't been woven into my clinical practice yet, but, but it's there and it's there now, right? We have them now it's available. And what you're going to see is things like this will very quickly get folded into our, our practice. And the reason is not 
for always the obvious thing, right? So obviously, right, look, more accurate measurements are better, right? That, that's a good thing, right? Us being able to deliver high-quality care is, is all, should be something that we always strive for. But as the business of medicine continues to um, operate in the face of dwindling reimbursement, right, dwindling uh, monies given to clinicians for the care they're provided, we're going to continue to have to provide um, true evidence that what we do is effective, right? That the care that we give translates to results that mean patients live more independently, that they can, you know, safely return to work quicker than if they had not seen us, right? That they're available to do those things. And having high quality measurement options available will support that and as well as support improvement and reimbursement. So it's, it's inevitable that these things come into practice because it's not just for the side of the, of the, the clinician, right? In the, in the, the, the quest for cleaner and better um, measurements of our patient, but also in the management and administration side of being able to provide right, quality data that we can use to support not only that clinician, but the healthcare outcomes that are demanded uh, of us as clinicians. So really supporting the shift to value-based care. It's inevitable, right? It's inevitable that it's coming, right? And so the difference as a, as a clinician is what what's the physical therapy he just measures, right? Like, uh, right. Right. Whereas, you know, other disciplines have measures of lab values, right. Or other outcomes that are very easy to measure. We, we're not as, as tangible in some of those aspects, right. So this will allow us to provide an equivalent measurement that is um, able to demonstrate the quality of care. So we're talking a little bit about, you know, the benefits of AI, how it can help, um, but there's also a lot of news out there about um, the potential drawbacks of AI, the warnings of AI. I mean, there was just a, you know, some some news articles the other day about um, some, you know, some big CEOs and 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 uh, tech heads warning about um, the downfalls of AI. So what uh, what drawbacks could there potentially be for for AI? There are, um, you know, and there's there's a, a work group that is being put together now with, you know, so kind of the the grandfathers of AI, if you will, the three wise men who kind of spearheaded this. Um, and, and you're right, right on a large scale, right? The I think you will see that um, uh, elected officials and leaders, right, will be um, wading into this, right, because it's 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 uncharted waters, right, and there needs to be some sort of regulation kind of monitoring it right but as far as you know what are the warning things that you know pts should be concerned about there was actually a, a, this just happened and it was really interesting was a lawyer used an ai platform to prepare a legal defense so just kind of jammed it in there spit out the legal defense gave it to the judge Judge came back and said, hey, you know, um, the references in this legal defense, uh, can't find some of them. Can, can you kind of go back over this? So put it back through AI, generate another one, send it back to them. 
They pulled through it. All the references and all the things that AI platform had referenced were made up. It's completely fabricated, right? Because it's an AI platform. It doesn't really know. It's just kind of doing its thing. I think that the biggest initial problem that we can potentially see is people using AI platforms to try to work around, you know, the drudge work of research, right? That's, that's the initial thing that I see, right? Whether that's intentional or not, I'm not here to, you know, to say whatever, right? But I think that the potential is there where, you know, you could say, well, look, this looks really good. I'm getting great results on it. Uh, we're just going to provide some more evidence to support it, right? And that evidence, if, you, if you're using an AI platform to generate it, right, could be completely fabricated, right? And then what does that do? So by not going through a true process and understanding truly like, hey, scientifically, this works out or it doesn't work out, you know, you run the potential of whatever that intervention was being branded as unacceptable, right? If you've gone down that road too fast, right? I think that's, I think first and foremost, that is the thing that, that I potentially see it get you right away, you know, kind of struggling with that. Um, and I think that those things that require a lot of tedious churning are going to have the biggest temptation Right to leverage these sorts of platforms to kind of do that. Now, another one that I would say um, I think it has a lot of potential is so. What? So let me also throw this out there: is that AI is not new, right? Algorithms and this is not new. People, this is and the truth is there really hasn't been a whole lot of scientific advancement in the last few years, right? It's kind of stagnant where it's at. It's just people are just hearing about it now. Right. So there are those companies, right, that will use an AI tool to um, generate recommendations, right? Maybe that's a patient does a thing, right? Whatever that thing is, right? Maybe it's a maybe it's a test, maybe it's a handwritten test, maybe it's a functional test, maybe it's a stand on one leg and and touch your nose, like whatever it is, right? And then they will say, oh, well, we've we've uh, We've run it through the super algorithm AI, and here's the recommendation. If you do these things, your problem will go away, right? And so there's a temptation there to allow platforms to kind of take some of that clinical decision-making away and kind of get to the end result faster, right? And so, hey, look, if I've got 15 patients on my schedule that day, you know, and I'm I'm churning and burning on the plinth all day long, right? Like, hey, look, if it if it looks like ah, it's just another, you know, ankle sprain, ah, we'll just run through the thing and ah, yeah, do these things and, and it's good to go, right? That's going to be a big temptation, right? But the question is going to be when it's wrong, how are you going to defend that, right? So when it's, you know, when it, you were like, I thought it was just an ankle sprain. Like, well, actually, right, you know, you missed this, you missed that. And now the patient, right, like that's going to be indefensible because it's not the standard of care. And that's the next place that I see clinicians potentially getting stuck with, right? Like the, the temptation to let it expedite your workload, right? So that you can, you know, in your, in the defense of the clinician, 
I got a bunch of patients to see. I got a bunch of work to do. But when you take those, when you take that without um, going through the true process, you inevitably will be stuck trying to defend the indefensible. But you could use it after the initial evaluation and you understand what the problem truly is. Yes. You could use it post that. Yes. And you can use it to, 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 to trim it down, to make your evaluation more precise, right? Yes. Get down to a more precision level, to, to rule out a bunch of things that make sense, right? But that means you still have to do the work, yeah. right? You just are enabled with more tools, which is excellent. That's what we should be striving for right. as, as healthcare providers. But if you let it run the system that's where you're going to run into problems. Right. So it's a workflow efficiency. It's it's about uh, reducing burden, um, but it's not about taking over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly, right? Um, and so that's, you know, there's another uh, AI platform that is out there where you can essentially, right, um, audit a clinician's notes, right? And what, what you start to realize is that PTs do two things, Um Historically, as a professional, number one, we over document. We write a whole bunch of stuff in areas of a note that really doesn't matter, right? Um, and and a lot of that has to do with kind of the way we were brought up in the system, uh, and that you know the majority of people are type A control freaks, and that you know, and then you just really want to do a good job, right? But but that to your point on the workflow, like if you're spending an extra twenty five percent of your time writing a note. How much does that equate to, right? How many extra notes have you written that day, right? So so using AI platforms to help you understand, like, hey, look, you didn't really need this. You got all the things you needed. Yes, that's great. But you also did a bunch of work you didn't need to do. Just helps with your efficiency, right? And then the other thing PTs um, tend to be cautious of is overbilling, right? Because nobody wants to get audited. Nobody wants to trigger an audit, right? And you know, if you work in a place that has compliance departments of lots of people who do all that, that's awesome. But I think the vast majority of people do not, right? They don't have like a, oh, yeah, we got a compliance department of 20 people going through everything. No, right. Most, it's, it's like, hey, I hope you didn't mess up that Medicare note, right? Like, that's what it is. <laughs> right. right? So, so, so the tendency is to underbill, mm-hmm. right? Because you don't want to trigger that. You want to make sure, you're, oh, let me just be on the safe side, right? I, I don't know. Was that eight minutes? Was it seven minutes? How many units was that? Is that 20 months? I can't, like I, I, I still, right? Like that's the, the biggest challenge of a clinician's life is how many minutes and what codes, do, what things am I checking for a treatment plan, right? So if a platform can help you um, understand that and make sure that you're not leaving you know, reimbursable codes on the table, then that can help, right? Then maybe you don't have to see 15 patients. You can only see 10 or 11, right? You can make it um, a little more uh, reasonable, right? Or increase the salary of clinicians because they're bringing in more revenue, right? So there's great potential for this to have a huge impact on the profession if folded in properly and we understand uh, what it is and what it's doing. Absolutely. And from a billing perspective, I feel like the AI aspect has has been there for a while, right? So you have a lot of automation in billing systems today, which is using um, which is using that AI to help um, you know flag 
where there might be coding errors or um, denial problems or, or, or issues that might um, cause some, some of those red flags um, or cause some of that underbilling or overbilling and right. some of those right. issues. And let's be clear, right? Uh, on the other side, the payers are using an AI system. Yeah. As well, right? yes. let, let's just let's just call it what it is, right? right. So it's on both sides of it, right? Yeah. So, so who you know who who better to learn from than than the payers, right? right. Like it's there's it's the same system, mm-hmm. just go the the workflow is just going the other way. Exactly. So, right. Yeah. So, so again, use it right, to your advantage. Yes, exactly. Right. It's the right. Use the powers for good. Right. <laughs> Instead of evil. <laughs> yes. Uh, excellent. Excellent. Um, so, I mean, what else, what else can AI be used for to, um, reduce administrative burden? Is there, is there anything else that we haven't touched on from an AI perspective? I think the, the one thing that the profession will, will have to deal with is where does it sit in the education of clinicians, right? Is it a tool that you can use as you're going through your educational process, is is it is it to be banned completely? Like like it's and look, it's everywhere, right? It's it's in my kids' high school, right? Like them, like it's it is. I I don't I don't know. I don't have the answer, right? Um, it yeah, I feel like it, it sometimes, right? It's kind of like, can I use a calculator, right? Like it, it's gonna like is it gonna be any different than all these things along the way where a technological advance was given and you were like. Like, why can't you use the technology? Because it's there and it's pervasive. Like, it seems silly, right? Like, right? Try doing calculus without a calculator. That, that's insane, right? But but they used to not. I right? used to use beads on a stick to count things, right? Like, but it seemed right. So at some point, when does the technology become accepted into it? And that's going to be that's going to be sticky. That's going to be, in my opinion, harder to delve through um, because you're going to have to get serious conversations about dogmas and, and, and educational philosophies and, and all those sorts of things. Right. And I, and I, I don't have those answers at all. Right. That is, um, but it's inevitable, right. That this will be the thing that because then it's part of the upbringing it's woven into the fabric of the profession and, and it's, it will be there. So we'll get there. I don't know what that's going to look like. I think that we're quite a bit off from that before we get to that place. But, um, but you know, someday, right? I'll be talking to somebody who's like, "Oh, actually, an AI platform did you know a third of my of my lectures." Okay, so let's let's switch gears um, to uh, APTA. When we're when we're looking for more information on um, AI technology topics, any other topics that relate to um, uh, the therapy industry, APTA is a great resource for people. Tell our audience a little bit about why um, they should be uh, joining as members uh, of the organization and what they can gain um, out sure. of joining. Yeah. So you know. I think the thing there there are two points about being a member to the APTA that I think are that, that I that just kind of need to level set, right? Like if if you're looking for just a straight transactional relationship, 
it'll be difficult for you to decide is is this something I should do right like I'm and I'm look, I work there right um, but if you're saying well you know it's not the same as like well when I go to the grocery store I pay this much money and I get this right. So there are a lot of things in APTA that are valuable for your membership, but not all, they don't always apply to you as a person, right? So you have to kind of decide, well, you know, is this, you know, am, am I getting, like, maybe I don't care about the magazine, or, I, or I'm not into the CEUs that the APTA offers, right? Maybe I'm, I, that's just not for me, right? It's just, maybe that doesn't work for my practice setting. But I think that if you ask yourself, right, like, am I, am I part of the profession in the community, right? Do I want to be, like, when people ask you, what do you do, right? What do you say, right? And if you say, well, I'm a physical therapist, or I work in a physical therapy clinic, or whatever that is, right, then what, what community are you a part of then, Right, like who? Who are your people? Where, 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 where is that at? Is it just the two people in the clinic you work with? Is it just, you know, is it is it that, or is it more? Right, and I think if you want it to be more, right, if you want more than just, I come in and I punch the clock and I go home. Look, and there's nothing wrong with that. I am, not, you know what I mean. Like, there are a lot of people with a lot of things going on in their lives, and that's just fine, absolutely. But if you're, if you want to be more of a professional, right? And if you want to, you know, live up to the title doctor, you should do some doctoring, right? And you should be a part of a community that exposes doctoring and exposes the exchange of professional ideas and knowledge and find those people that make you strive to do good clinical care, right? Or find the next treatment that you're stuck on. You can't figure out what to do with these hip patients, and maybe somebody will be able to help me, right? Or maybe it's, you know what? I really want to start working, you know, with athletes and kids because now my kids play soccer and they're nine years old, right? Then how do I how do I connect with the people that do that? That's what the APTA does. That's what the APTA is for, right? It builds that networking community for you to be part of the of a doctoring profession, right? And that's really the value of it. There's a ton, you know, and the other portion of that. Right. So aside from finding your people and kind of finding the community that you belong to is that whether you're a member or not, right, if you have the initials after your name, the association's working for you. Right. There was just a a large bill that was um, passed to make sure that telehealth reimbursement continued past the end of the um, the covid extension that was done. Um, and the APT pushed for that, lobbied for it, and made sure it happened on behalf of physical therapists. And at the beginning of the pandemic, physical therapists weren't even included in telehealth reimbursement. The APTA made sure that they were, right? So the APT is going to continue to do those things, whether or not you're a member or not. It's going to continue to do that work because it's important and, and it's, uh, it's the right thing to do to advocate for the profession. But if those sorts of things... Um, excites you, right? Or if, you know, making sure that um, your profession is represented when, um, for example, right, like right now, the country's kind of stuck on what's long COVID? What is it? Is it an actual diagnosis? Like people are like, I don't know if it's a diagnosis. People are arguing over all these things, but like, you know, APT is, is working with 
um, the Office of the Secretary of Health and Human Services to, to be a voice at the table, right? Working in, in conjunction with um, the PMNR Society, with AOTA, right? To make sure that we're providing those things for clinicians who are working in these areas and trying to address the bigger problems of our society. You know, that's what APTA advocacy will do, right? And if those are the things that you that you can see yourself in, it's really the only place that does it for our profession. So that's another place that, uh, you know, you just can't get it anywhere else. That's really what it's about. Excellent. Well, thank you for that. And we appreciate everything that the APTA does for uh, the therapy industry and uh, for all the practitioners out there. So wrapping it up, any final thoughts or takeaways for our listeners on uh, today's topic? I think, right, if I just had one you know, one message to say, I think it would be that the profession is, has hit a pivot point right in the last few years, especially coming out of the pandemic, where society as a whole is accepting of technological advances, um, especially in medicine, right? And then our profession has the opportunity to decide what's part of how we practice and what we fold into how we do that and how we deliver that. And I would tell people to not shy away from it, right? It's very easy to slide back into the comfortable practice patterns of circa 2009. It's easy. We already know how to do that. Um, but it's not sustainable, right? It, it's, not, it's not going to um, help us as a community deliver better care uh, or even stay relevant, to be honest, Right. So I would say that, you know, my, my advice would just be don't be afraid uh, to get involved. Be, be curious. Look at the things that are out there. Find out how you can get involved in these things and how you can fold them into your practice. Uh, because the, the change is, is coming and it's coming fast. It's coming really, really fast. And, you know, um, we had another project we were looking at where, you know, we realized that in 2030, people, Kids, quote, who are graduating high school this summer in 2030 will be the new PTs, right? So the question is, what does that look like for them? What, how will it be? How will they practice? Will they even ever touch a goniometer, right? Will they be looking at it as some archaic thing like, I can't believe you guys did this. I can't believe you guys did manual muscle testing and thought it worked, right? Like, what will they look at and make fun of, right? And what's it going to be like? And I think that, that, that we should be open to embracing those things with a skeptical eye. Don't ever lose that, right? Don't ever lose your uh, critical thinking and decision-making, but also understand that, you know, that, that the, the inevitable change is, is being accelerated and it's just here to help. Yeah, I like that message, embrace change. All right. Great. Well, I mean, we could probably go on for quite a while, but we are out of time for today. I want to thank you so much for joining us today, Drew. Uh, really appreciate your insights. I want to thank our audience for tuning in uh, to this episode of Therapy Matters, your one-stop resource for expert insights and advice on everything therapy and rehab. And we look forward to seeing everybody on our next episode. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Therapy Matters. Do you like the podcast? Give us a five-star rating, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the show. Want to be a guest or know someone that would be a great guest speaker? Contact me at allison.jones at raintreeinc.com. 
That's A-L-L-I-S-O-N dot Jones at RaintreeInc.com. Therapy Matters is brought to you by Raintree, Therapy and Rehab's favorite EMR. Raintree is the only all-in-one therapy EMR delivering a complete and seamless end-to-end patient journey from first contact to payment to patient retention. To learn more about Raintree, visit us online at RaintreeInc.com.